0: Hi, this is Annie and you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. As we mentioned in our part one episode on tabletop gaming with Tracy V. Wilson, we were going to do a follow up on tabletop gaming development. And here is that episode. And Tracy put me in touch with our guest today, tabletop game developer, Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Hi, Annie. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. So I am uh, one half of the game development team, Cardboard Fortress Games. Um, It's me and my husband. We made Resistor and Laser Riders and, um, a game called Atari, Atari Centipede, which is a game based on the old arcade game, which is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, we have like a ton of other games that are in development right now, but, um, yeah, I I don't know what else to say. I'm like, uh, and during the day I am a research analyst. I don't know if that's interesting.
0: (laughs) Of course it is. I love, I love (laughs) research. I'm such a research nerd. (laughs) How did you get into tabletop game design
1: so um gosh about nine years ago in like 2009 2010 i started writing video game reviews and through that i got involved in the local video game development scene Um, i live in philadelphia and there were way more video game developers than i could have even imagined and we ended up starting like a little group that met once a month and then that turned into like a weekly game dev meeting kind of thing. It was called Philly Dev Night. And um, my husband and I, we had we started dating in like 2011. And we would go to these meetings and there would be game jams. I, do you know what a game jam is?
0: I do, but I would love if you could explain it.
1: Sure, sure, sure. So a game jam is just... Um, everybody basically has the same topic or the same general idea to work from. And you have a set amount of time to make a game. So ours was... You have 24 hours to make a game. And the theme was pick an Oasis song title and make a game out of it.
0: Oh.
1: (laughs) Right? And I was like, wow, that doesn't sound interesting. And then I looked up Oasis song titles and I was like, oh my God, these are so bizarre. So um, my husband and I were like, well, we can't make a video game, but let's make a board game because we love playing board games. So we're like, why don't we just make a board game? And we ended up making a board game that won the jam and that is like where it kind of all started. We ended up like figuring out how to actually make the game and then putting it on Kickstarter. And then we learned how to work with publishers. And that that was kind of like the spark that started it all.
0: May I ask what Oasis song title you went with?
1: Sure. Uh, Roll It Over was the name of the song title. And uh. that, um, yeah. So the, the game is... Um, it's called Resistor, and it's like there's uh, red lines, blue lines, or red and blue lines on each card. And each card is double-sided, and there's a different image on each side. And you're trying to like connect your lines to go across the board. So if I was the red player, I would try to get like a full red line going all the way across the board. And Anthony, my husband, was like, Oh, we should make a game where we should use the title Roll It Over and use a game where you have to like flip cards over, and you're using both sides of the card. So... We ended up not keeping the, the title, but that was the song.
0: <laughs> um, could you describe more in depth the what goes into making a game? Um, well, I, I'm just very curious and I, I'm yes. not,
1: not sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, we've had... Um, there, there's like a big divide in the industry where it's like, well, do you work with theme first or do you work with mechanics first? And I feel like we have kind of done both. Um, like obviously with resistor, we had like a theme and a mechanic sort of at the same time, the mechanic came first and then we ended up adding the theme because we were like, well, what can we put on this? Can we put, you know, trains on this connecting train lines or, we were like, what about, you know, computer circuits? And we're like, yeah, it could be like war games. And, um, that, that was really funny because we were like, let's do Wargames, an old 80s movie. And then we turned the TV on and it was on TV. And we were like, well, that's a sign. Yeah. But um, for the most part, it's, you know, Anthony and I will kind of like go back and forth about an idea. And then if we think the idea is like viable, then we'll kind of like start making it physically. Like we'll cut pieces out or we'll just like, you know, draw it on index cards. Or And over the last five, six years, we have gotten so many different prototyping tools like we have you know we bought blank cards and we have all different kinds of dice and like we've cannibalized old games for pieces so once we kind of play it a few times that can kind of show us like whether or not we should keep going whether we should hone it and it's a little bit tough because uh, anthony's a graphic designer so he also Wants to make the prototypes like look really beautiful right away. You know, if he makes a lot of cards and they look beautiful and it takes forever to make them, and then, you know, one major thing is wrong that's on each card. You know, he doesn't want to just cross it out. If you had made them on like index cards or blank cards, and you could just cross it out and you know re-sleeve it. So a lot of people will use, um, you know, they'll use the bare minimum pieces. They'll use index cards or regular cards, and their intent is to get the mechanics down and pitch it to a publisher. And then the publisher will take care of everything else. So it's kind of different for everybody. Some people go into it thinking like, I'm working on this game. I start with an idea, then I make the physical prototype. And then I'm going to kind of be doing everything myself and making it look a certain way. And other people are like, no, I just want to do the most basic prototyping I can. And then I'm going to offload it to somebody else who's going to do all the other stuff.
0: Is that sort of the normal pipeline or the traditional pipeline, I guess, like you would design a game and maybe have a prototype and then you would show it to a publisher and try to get them to to buy it and to make it? Or is there like a, a lot more Kickstarter type things
1: now and self-publishing? I think that uh, a lot of people are self-publishing and I think a lot of people are self-publishing because they aren't sure how to get to a publisher. Mm-hmm. Does that, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, Totally. But we, I mean, now that we've been doing this for so long, I think that a lot of the people that we know are definitely the kind of people who pitch to publishers. And we've become those people because we don't want to do a Kickstarter. We don't want to have to worry about, you know, distribution and having all those games in our house and going to the post office and all that stuff, which is really overwhelming to me.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can see
1: that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think part of it is... um some people just want to do the game development part. And if and, and once you get to a certain point, you become privileged enough that you can just do that because you have set up the groundwork to have pipelines to publishers and stuff like that. And other people, you know, I think, I think Kickstarter is often how people start. And then once they kind of get to know the industry, they can decide if they want to try to pursue working with a publisher, which also has its own, you know, host of pros and cons because you're going to get less money, and you're going to have less control over how the game is going to look and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. As someone who's like dipped my toe in the, the world of publishing um, books, it sounds like a very similar, similar thing. I've mentioned on this show before that I am in the process of preparing to run a and d campaign for the first time. I love it. <laughs> I'm so nervous, but I'm like making props, and I'm doing all this stuff. And one of my favorite and most frightening aspects of it, honestly, is it's almost like psychology in a way because you're having to think of what will people probably do, and then they probably won't do that anyway. but
1: oh, they won't do it. they won't do it. <laughs> oh, gosh. they're not gonna do it. <laughs>
0: I know, and I'm so nervous. but um, it's just this aspect of planning the game that I didn't really anticipate. Are there things like that that you found in um, tabletop game development?
1: Oh, man. Uh, yeah, absolutely. With running a D&D game, it's, it's so much about improvisation. Mm-hmm. And like, there's so little that you can like... Like, it's about improvisation and a- adaptation, but there's so little that you can then apply to another game because it's like, all you can do is hone your ability to improvise. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) But with with tabletop game development, um, part of it is watching other people play your game and learning what works and what doesn't work by watching them play your game. Like You could have an intention, and then if people consistently read a rule in a different way than you intended it, then you either need to rewrite that rule or you need to figure out a way to adapt to how they're playing it because that's more intuitive to them.
0: That makes sense. Did you ever is this something you ever imagined you would be doing?
1: No. No. I <laughs> when I was younger, I thought that I would be writing books. Like I thought I was going to write a book. You know, that was my like goal in high school and college and then when I got really into reviewing for video games, I I did like start to dabble in i did some writing for video games i did some editing for video games and then i was super hype about that because i that's another passion that i've had is is video games i love playing them and being in those worlds but i never imagined that i would be making board games it's it blows me away on a pretty regular basis
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh do you have any any favorite tabletop games or any that inspired you
1: yeah, absolutely. The first the first one that really inspired my husband and I is Pandemic. Are you familiar with Pandemic?
0: Oh, I love Pandemic.
1: It's so great, right? Have yes. you played Pandemic Legacy?
0: No, but I got it after speaking to Tracy and she told me she was a part of the like test team. Like, okay, I'm going to go out right after this and buy it. <laughs> Perfect.
1: <laughs> yeah, Pandemic Legacy is super good. It's fun. We're we're partway into season two. The only thing that's hard about it is getting a group together. Right. To consistently play it as adults, because everybody is an adult with important stupid crap to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, we we love pandemic. Um, that actually inspired us. We we've been working on a co-op game for as long as we've been together, almost um, that we've been like honing and we're hoping to like find a home for it. Um, recently, I really love Azul. Have you played Azul? I have not played Azul. Oh my god, it's beautiful! It's this beautiful game where you're like making a mosaic with these tiles and it's very tactile the pieces are really pleasing to like touch and the math of it is really fun like either there's a strategy in it and there's a certain level of like blocking other people out for being able to do what they do and it's I, the first time I played it, I joked that like my computer brain turned on because mm-hmm. I was just like, oh my God, I know exactly what I need to do and how to do it. And I can set up like multiple moves even if somebody takes the piece I need. And like when the game was over, I like, you know, booted down and was like, what happened? Did I win? What? Where, <laughs> where was I for the last half an hour? Um, and King Domino is like that also. I feel like King Domino is less abstract, but it's another one of those games where it's just, oh, it's just really like, it's really satisfying. So I, th- those are two games I like right now. And there's another game called Avocado Smash. That Ooh.
0: Just,
1: yeah, the container it comes in looks like an avocado. The cards feel like avocado skin. They're like oh. slightly... Yeah, they have like an interesting texture to it. And it's a dexterity game. It's just a game where... When when something happens, everybody has to slap the cards in the middle, and the last person to slap gets all the cards. And you're trying to get rid of all of your cards. Uh, uh-huh. And um, it is so fun. It is like it has, it's like a ten dollar game, and it comes in an avocado. And it's by a company that I've never heard of, and it has no business being as fun <laughs> as it is.
0: I love it. I'm definitely gonna check that out.
1: Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um. So for
0: for listeners that are wondering, well, why, why are we talking about this on a show about feminism? We kind of touched on it in our episode previous with Tracy about how women in tabletop gaming for a long time haven't been represented. And the same is true for women developers in the world of tabletop gaming. And we will get into that after a quick break for a word from our sponsor. back thank you sponsor so um we do have some numbers for you a quick numbers rundown and some of these will sound familiar but i think they're worth restating for this conversation like we mentioned in our previous tabletop gaming episode the numbers of players and thus the profits from tabletop gaming are going up and we included this number in that episode The 25 best-selling board games in 2016 were all designed by men, and the 19 nominees of Game of the Year Awards between 2014 and 2016, none of them identified as women. And if we look at Gen Con, one of the largest and oldest gaming conventions, 2016's Gen Con featured 50% of speakers that were women, but in 2011, there was literally only one— and there's still so much work to be done because don't forget, in 2015, one of Gen Con's panels called Writing Women-Friendly Comic Characters did not include any panelists that identified as women until the ensuing backlash. Have you ever
1: been to uh, Gen Con? I have, yes. I, we've gone for, I think, the last four or five years.
0: What's it like?
1: Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of white men. Yeah? <laughs> it's a lot of white guys. Um, and it's, you know, it's a lot of people who don't understand why women need to be more represented and that's frustrating that's super frustrating I you know I'm in such a bubble of of people who are more progressive that going to events like that can be really jarring yeah um, and that article that that you're quoting um, I read it and I was completely blown away by the numbers I'm not I wouldn't say I'm surprised I think I'm I think it's just Seeing the numbers is just so overwhelming, you know? And yeah. uh, and like I said, I'm I'm a research analyst by day. So data is my jam. So I was like, oh my God, this article is so great. It does such a good deep dive and like look at her pie charts. They're so good. <laughs> but um, yeah, Gen Con is and and one of the things that's hard about Gen Con and going to PAX, the Penny Arcade Expo and other events like that is I often get asked to be on panels and I get to the panel and I'm the only woman on the panel. And that I'm, it makes me self-conscious because it makes me wonder if the only reason I've been invited to the panel is because I'm a woman. Yeah. And that makes me feel really like crappy about myself and insecure because I already have hardcore imposter syndrome, even just being there. Mm -hmm. And um, we did do a panel at 2017 PAX Unplugged called, you know, women in gaming and we were all white women. Mm -hmm. And afterwards I was like, oh crap, we're all white women. So, you know, it's, you know, places like Gen Con and it's just, it's just so hard. It's so hard because there's, it's so overwhelmingly male. And it's so overwhelmingly the kind of men who are like, you know, a lot of them don't have a problem sharing the space with women until women want to have equal representation and then they have a problem with it.
0: Yeah. One thing that came out of the conversation that Tracy and I had about this is we both, kind of like you were saying, shared that in our experiences, it is a much more like progressive, diverse space. But um, Tracy was saying, because I've never been to, to something like Gincon Con. Um, I've been to Dragon Con, but that's very different. <laughs> but um, something like that, where that's when she would notice like, oh, it's mostly white dudes around. Um, so many white dudes hmm yeah
1: like a sea of them
0: (laughs) I did read something because I'm also a language nerd um, and I read something about how there were more women manning the boost at Gen Con and how they were talking about like changing the language around that I just thought that was interesting (laughs) that is really interesting yeah yeah I hadn't really considered that before but yeah I suppose Gary Knox, the creator of Dungeons & Dragons, once told Icon Magazine, quote, gaming in general is a male thing. Everybody who's tried to design a game to interest a large female audience has failed. And I think that has to do with the different thinking processes of men and women, which is just not correct. <laughs> Um,
1: right. No, there's so many things wrong with that. I know. I'm
0: like, I'm not even sure where to tackle. Um, have you? And I, I'm gonna assume the answer is yes. But have you experienced sexism in the world of tabletop gaming or other obstacles related to it?
1: Yeah, I've. Um, when I the first time I went to BGGCon, which is the convention centered around board game geek, um, I, I had, I had not really. I had not really worked many conventions before that. I had I had gone to conventions. I had gone as press to do interviews about video games, but I hadn't like been an exhibitor until you know we until we published Resistor. So when I was at BGG, I had a guy say to me, um, "Our company is called Cardboard Fortress Games, so we wear." Like little cardboard boxes on our heads, mm-hmm. just to just to be funny. Mm-hmm. And um, I like put the box on to do a demo, and this guy was like, "You were cuter without the box." And I was just like, too stunned to say anything. So I was just like, "Ha ha!" Like, yeah, you know, I didn't know what to say. And I had another guy recently. I had a guy um, in late 2018. I went to an event at one of our local board game stores, and he was a friend of the owner, and. You know, he was talking to a friend of mine who I also happened to be talking to. And he was like, oh, you make games? Like he turned like he didn't realize that I was one of the game designers at the uh-huh. event. He was like, oh, you make games? I was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, well, how, you know, how do you make games? And I opened my mouth to answer and he said, oh, never mind. If you can do them, I'm sure anyone can. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, cool. Bye forever. Yeah. And, and just like walked away. And my friend also walked away because he was like, that was really crappy. Yes, that was awful. Yeah, it's just, and, and it's, and it's, you know, so many predominantly white men will say to you, like, well, why didn't you just say something? Why didn't you just tell them that you felt uncomfortable? Why didn't you just say no? And it's like, you have no concept of how it feels in the moment. Like, you feel panicked. Like, you, you, you certainly aren't going to come up with something witty. Yeah. And you, cer- you certainly aren't going to be able to say something that doesn't sound angry.
0: Mhm
1: And you know, twenty minutes later, you're like, oh, "I should have said this, but you know there and there's also that like fear of them getting mad and yelling at you, yeah. you know or or like starting a scene, so you know it's you know it's it's because of the people that I hang out with, I would say that it's been it hasn't been as bad as it could have been, but I've definitely experienced it like I haven't had you know there there have been friends that I know who have been harassed, uh, I think in that article, she mentioned the thing that happened at Origins where someone was sexually harassed and that girl still gets harassed on Twitter constantly, like every day now. And it's like seven months later, six months later. So, you know, it's it's really out of control.
0: Yeah. Um, and kind of... Off of that, because we did talk about in uh, the episode of Tracy about um, sexual harassment that's experienced by by women in this world. Um, But as I said, myself, I have had a pretty good experience in the tabletop gaming world, but I do think it's interesting that for two things. One, for a very long time, I just assumed that they were not for me. I remember recoiling almost violently when someone asked me, "Like, do you like tabletop games?" I'm like, "Oh no!" Um, <laughs> right, right, and right. Then the second is, I really love. Um, I love playing tabletop games. I have like three different groups that do it now, pretty regularly, but occasionally because, like you said, I we're all adults and we have other responsibilities in playing tabletop <laughs> games. Um, sometimes. We don't get to meet as often as I would like. And I am a, a single woman with uh, like less obligations to other people than a lot of people I'm playing with. So I'll see an event for like drop by this bar and play D&D. And even without having these experiences myself, I just, I guess I had internalized that if I go to something like that, I'm worried that I would be, Harassed or looked down upon, or just even treated differently, um, right, right, and that I would it wouldn't be a fun experience for me, or that people wouldn't be patient for me if it's a new game, and um, sure, things like that that I just didn't until I put thought into it, I didn't realize that I had those thoughts inside of me.
1: Yeah, I I, I totally get it. You know, I met <laughs> I met my husband <laughs> because we there was a. Wizards of the coast was doing a thing for fourth edition d d where you could play something called encounters and it was a weekly event at local board game stores where you could just play a single encounter from a module so it like eased you into the rules and how to play it and that's how i met anthony was i went to an encounters and he was there and <laughs> we ended up you know dating but i had a lot i felt a lot of trepidation because i don't do a voice during d d and i don't necessarily get super into the character and I am not great at improvising all the time and and sometimes I'm not, you know, on so I don't feel like I can come up with funny, clever ideas and I feel like everybody's just going to think I'm dumb mm-hmm. and I don't always know all the rules. So it, I mean, it took playing constantly and I'm I'm still not over that. You know, we play, we have a monthly game of fourth edition that we play and then we also have a monthly Fifth edition game that we play that gets recorded and goes on YouTube. I can't tell you, <laughs> I can't tell you how like that I get nervous every single time we record because I made the mistake of reading the comments one time. Oh no. And they hate me. Oh like, Lord, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- like we've grown on them. My husband and I play um goblin juggalos. So we're gobblos. <laughs> so we it. are obnoxious. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are really intensely out of control. And the first episode, I made the mistake of reading some of the comments and people were like, we hate her. And I was like, why do you hate me? We're both being goblin. We're both doing this. Mm-hmm. Like, why do you hate me? And I was like, I'm never reading the comments again. I'm just never gonna do it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> I advise you know, strongly against it.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, but the other thing is, you know, we had played... When Anthony and I first started dating, we played so many role-playing games that we got to a point where we started playing Shadowrun 5th Edition. I don't know if you're familiar with Shadowrun at all. Mm -mm. It is complicated. It has a very complicated rule set, and the 5th Edition of it was no exception. It was very complicated, and I literally sat down at the table and said, Hey, guys, I have learned so many new RPGs in the last couple of months that I am not even going to bother reading the book because I don't want to learn another one, and you guys all keep complaining about it, which makes me realize that it's not an enjoyable thing to learn the rules for so i'm just going to tell you what i want to do you guys tell me how many dice to roll and i'm just going to role play and have a good time and you know it was one of the best times i've had role playing because i didn't put so much thought into like oh well how can i min max my turn and Mm -hmm. how can i like be the best character possible i was like no i don't want to do that i just want to play some ass and have a good time and it, it was fun, and and I feel like letting go of some of my self consciousness has been really hard, but has made it easier to play. And I also I have the same feeling that you do about playing new games with new people, new board games with new people, because you feel like I always have that panic of what if I don't get it? Yeah. Like what if I just what if I just don't rock it? And you're really doing yourself a disservice. Like you're very smart, you do all kinds of stuff every single day. Like we, like we do stuff that's way harder than learning mm-hmm. a board game every day and we don't have the same kind of anxiety. And it's because we have that fear of like, oh no, somebody might think, like somebody might judge me. And I, you know, I have taken to when it's my turn the first time, if I'm playing a new game, especially with new people, my first turn I'll be like, okay, so just to be clear, these are my options. And then I'll state the options that I have.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'll be like... But And then I can do this, right? And then if I really don't, if there's something I really don't get, I'll be like, but what's the point of me doing this thing? So I like try to make them explain it to me while repeating everything they say so that I'll remember it. I don't know if that's helpful to other people, but...
0: No, that sounds like a good strategy to me.
1: Yeah, it helps like grind it into my brain.
0: Yeah, and I've found that for certain games, the rules can look so overwhelming. and. They they might be. But once you start playing it, it doesn't feel as
1: overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. And you had mentioned earlier about like the, the improv. We talked about like the improvisation for like prepping for D&D and stuff like that. And I think that when you write rules, part of the problem is that sometimes you get sucked into a black hole of, well, how dumb is the player? <laughs> and then you end up you really end up overwriting the rules because you're like do i have to tell them how to draw a card do i have to tell them exactly where to discard it well somebody one time asked me this question do i have to address it in the rule book and that ends up bloating the rule book but you people just get really nervous you know
0: yeah oh absolutely it's kind of to me it's kind of a frustrating thing because tabletop gaming is what's supposed to be very fun and for me has been but there was all of this stress around it and occasionally there still is and it's like this fun activity that has legit health benefits I mean on top of like it helps you be more creative it helps with problem solving it helps with all this stuff it helps de-stress people to think that people are being frightened away or intimidated by this fun thing that can be can mean so much Makes me angry.
1: Yeah, it's depressing. It's it's the same thing with video games. Uh, oh, yeah. And and she had uh, what is her is her name Trudy? In that, who wrote that article? Tanya. Mm-hmm. Tanya, sorry. She had mentioned that that happens with female gamers who play, you know, online video games. That they like try to ha- like pretend that they're a guy, or they just stop playing it, or they blame themselves for being harassed and. That's so sad.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I've told the story on this show before. I stopped playing online games because oh. it it became— some, it took something that was fun, and it became a very stressful, intimidating experience. And this was like middle school. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, are there— What other problems do you see in this world of tabletop gaming, and how do you think we could make it better? I know, it's I think, a small question. <laughs>
1: sure. <laughs> uh, one of the most interesting things about that article was that she talked about um, the art on the covers mm-hmm. and yeah. how aliens and animals are more represented than women. Yep. On those covers, and I was like, shut up. I was so mad <laughs> about that.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and I think, you know, when, when she wrote the part about One Deck Dungeon, how One Deck Dungeon is like prominently female and how one guy was like, when you come out with a male version, let me know and I'll play it. Like that makes me so mad. Mm -hmm. I think that, I think that, you know, we talk about like, well, it needs to be more diverse. It needs to be more inclusive. White men need to be educated. Like, like white men need to understand like, and even, you know, I, I talk about that my groups are progressive and that's true. But, you know, my husband the other day said, well, I didn't really like Disney movies when I was a kid because I wasn't represented in them. Because, he, you know, he's not a princess. And then we started watching She-Ra and he's like, well, I don't really like this show because it's almost all women. So why would I want to watch it? And it's just like, I just I just don't know what to say to that because I'm like, OK, but welcome to my whole life where yeah. almost every single thing I've consumed has been, you know, male and it didn't it didn't bother me until the last couple of years because when I was a kid, I was like, well, I just want to play, I just wanna play video games. I don't care that every single game I'm playing, I'm playing as a guy. I just want to play video games. I love video games, you know. And, you know, I don't mind that I'm not representing TV shows. And, you know, you and I had talked about, well, it's because of internalized misogyny, you know. Not only do I not mind, I kind of don't I kind of don't like women. I kind of don't like myself. I kind of don't want to see myself up there, you know? Right. And, you know, it's it's only recently that I'm like, well, no, that would be, you know, that would be really cool to see myself represented. And, and it would be really cool to have that experience. And I think that white men view it not as... They, they view it as something's being taken away from them. hmm Instead of, oh, well, this 2% has you know, women on the horse. So I'm not gonna play because I I don't see myself there. But you know, can can you for one second put yourself into a woman's shoes and realize that all the games that you love, like we we aren't reflected in those? I, I don't know. And and it's so funny because I'm like the most important thing is to cater to white men and educate them. But <laughs> like you know, there's only so many times that you can be like, well, you know, we, we should make more covers with women or we should have more women. It's like, but but the white men are still gonna fight against it. Yeah, and I just don't know how to get to them. I don't know how to. I don't know how to be like, hey, I'm gonna mail all of you a copy of "Feminism Is for Everybody" by bell hooks, and can you please read it?
0: <laughs> there we go.
1: <laughs> right, like everybody has. We're all in a book club now. Mm-hmm. Let's all read this.
0: Yeah, get a Kickstarter going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you touch on a lot of stuff that I resonated with me. I I was definitely one of those. I'm not like other girls people for a long time and I look back and I cringe. Um same yeah. same. Yeah. Uh and I have friends that still are and it bothers me so much because it, it's almost like what they're saying doesn't make sense with other things they're saying about themselves personally because they are a woman. <laughs> they're like, well, right. women aren't they're just generally not as good at the X. But I am. <laughs> right. <laughs> it right. doesn't it doesn't track. Um and I totally agree that it's kind of this fear of change, of things becoming more equal. And I I personally think that we're just going to have to, <laughs> we're just going to have to keep making more diverse games and sorry about it if it makes you nervous.
1: <laughs> yeah, they just they're just so threatened. And I'm just like, but can you introspect and look at that feeling of being threatened and like, explain it can you explain it and it's i it's all tied into trump being elected and we could just talk about this garbage forever but like it's super hard to see it as a as a general resurgence it almost feels like in the world you know but mm-hmm. to to like to still it down to just tabletop gaming yeah is, is it just feels like a microcosm of everything else that's going on you know
0: yeah i totally agree and that's we're talking about tabletop gaming, but we're talking about so much more. <laughs> <laughs> um, if we if we look kind of at some numbers from that, that study that we've been mentioning in this, it was a very recent study. It came out in December 2018, and it was called Analog Game Studies by Tanya Pabuda. And it was a sweeping look at the top 200 games on Board Game Geek, which is... Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's sort of like IMDB, but for board games, yes?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, And it it found that generally a majority of board game designers are white men. Only 2.4% were white women, and only a little over 4% were non-white men. Of the 200 games, only seven were designed solely or jointly by women, and that number is 12 for men of color. So those are very stark numbers.
1: Yeah, it's crazy.
0: Mm -hmm. Game designer Nikki Valens was the sole female designer for the 22nd-ranked game Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition from 2016. And Valens was a co-designer for the number 47th-ranked game Eldritch Horror from 2013. Peggy Chastanet was the co-designer for the legacy game T-I-M-E Stories, Time Stories, from 2015. And Suzanne Goldberg was a co-designer for the Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, the Thames Murders and Other Cases, 1981, and number 65 on the BGG Top 200. The 179th-ranked Exit the Game, the Abandoned Cabin from 2016, and the 113th-ranked Village from 2011 were both jointly designed by Inca Brand, and Flaminia Brasini was jointly responsible for the design of the 142nd ranked Lorenzo Il Magnifico from 2016. So that's just not a lot of diversity women represented in those the top 200 games. Um, when it comes to illustrators, the numbers are slightly better, but only slightly. Around 10% of illustrators of these top 200 games were white women and around 7% were women of color. So we got a long ways to go to make things more equal. Seriously? Yeah. Um, So we have a little bit more for you, some some advice for making these things more equal. But first, we have (laughs) one more ad for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So one thing that I wanted to ask you about... Nicole was, um, what What about you? What, do you have any projects on the horizon that you are excited about?
1: Yeah, so uh, Anthony and I are working on a game that is tentatively at the moment entitled Dance Hall Mashup. Uh, it's a game about dancing. Oh, I love um, it. it. It's not about dancing well. It's about dancing quickly. <laughs> um, <laughs> we... Uh, a friend of ours, Jason Tagmeier, has, um he has a Patreon for his board game development. He basically puts out um, wallet games. They're like small games that are 18 cards. They come in a little wallet. They're all like uniformly the same size. But he was also doing something on his Patreon where he was doing postcard games. So the first year it was cult films and you had to have the rules on the postcard and then you would play... The components would be things that you could easily find in the house. And then the next year it was... One Hit Wonders. So we did one for Spin Me Right Round.
0: hmm
1: <laughs> And the, the One Hit Wonders year was play everything with the postcard. So each corner of the postcard was a different dance move from the Spin Me Right Round video. And one person would basically spin the postcard onto the table and then whichever corner was facing them, they would yell out that dance move and everybody would have to do the dance move as fast as possible and then slap the postcard. And the last person to slap would be out. It, would, it, it was a game that was... For like a bunch of people and then we were like you know what we could make this but with lots of dance moves oh I love so it. yeah we spent an entire weekend just watching youtube videos about how to describe how to do dances and mm-hmm. then made a ton of cards and uh, we pitched it to some publishers in november and we have two publishers who are really seriously interested in it so i'm hoping that is the next Game that we have coming out, we've actually... Uh, so my husband was diagnosed with cancer last year. So we've had like... Uh, we had kind of a year where we didn't do anything. And I think we're both feeling the pressure of, you know, we have to get back into it. We have to get games out because we we published Resistor. And then the next year we published two games. So we were like, oh, next year we'll publish three games. And then life was like, psych.
0: Mm, I'm sorry to hear that. So,
1: Thank you. So yeah, so we're just like... We have a ton of prototypes that, you know, we've been shopping around. And this is where it comes into play about pitching the publishers. When we went to PAX Unplugged in December, you know, we had five games. We had five prototypes that we were just pitching to any publisher we could get an appointment with. We were just like, hey, can we sit down with you? Cool. Five games. And we had the pitch down to like 10 minutes. We were like, here you go. Two minutes a game. (laughs) So we we have some, some pretty promising leads there.
0: Oh, that sounds so fun.
1: Thank you. I'm a
0: big... (laughs) I love any kind of game that gets you up and moving, and I love dancing, and I'm terrible at it, so this sounds perfect (laughs) for me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I also love all those things, and I'm also terrible at dancing, so I I totally get it.
0: Well, keep me posted about that. Oh, absolutely. So for, for anyone who's listening... Any any woman who's interested in getting involved in in the world of designing a tabletop game, um, do you have any advice or tips for them?
1: Yeah, um, for oh, there's so many layers to this. Um, if you, I mean, if you've already got a game and you want to try to, you know, get it played, get it get your prototype tested, um, there's something called unpub. The unpublished game network. It's unpub.net. Um, if you go there and you make an account and you put your games into there, you can kind of keep track. They have events all over the world. So they have these things called unpub minis. And basically, you go to a local board game store and if you're, you know, you register for it, you go to a local board game store and then you just show your prototype and, and, you know, people come play your prototype, give you feedback. They have feedback forms you can even print out. Um, there's also uh, if you're on the East Coast, there's an event called Metatopia, which is in North Jersey, and that is literally just four days of playtesting prototypes, and it's very heavily scheduled. If you, you know, say you're like, okay, I want to have five playtests of my game, you can actually request one playtest to just be designers, so then you can get really good feedback because it's only designers playing your game. There are also you know, there's there's all kinds of Playtesting communities. We have one in Philadelphia that is based on a community in Boston. It's called the Game Makers Guild, and they're we're basically we're basically their first franchise, is what I like to joke. <laughs> so, so we have Game Makers Guild Philadelphia. There's one in Connecticut. Um, there's also uh, if you're in you know the Northwest, there's Playtest Northwest, which I think is in Seattle. Um, Emma Larkins runs a playtest group in Seattle, also. Um, Gosh, there's just so there, there's also like Proto spiel, which is another thing that's sort of like Unpub. And then there's you know events like PAX, the Penny Arcade Expo. There's there's one that's dedicated solely to board games, and Unpub usually gets a booth at these events, so you can register for Unpub at these events, which is really cool. Um, there's also Gen Con and um, I think BGG Con. They, they have this really intense thing that's called publisher speed dating. Oh. Which is yeah, it's as horrifying as it sounds. Yeah. Um, you have like five to ten minutes to pitch your game to a publisher and then the publishers just switch tables. So um it's really good practice to get your pitch down to, you know, 10 minutes. Um on a on a more granular level, if you're looking for ways to actually physically make your prototype, um there's a site called the game crafter and they have basically everything you could ever need to make a game. So you can actually, you know, upload all your art, order all the pieces, and then order one single copy of your game. It won't be cheap, but it'll give you a really nice-looking, professional-looking prototype that you can then bring to events like this. Um, And, like, honestly, if you're a person listening and you're like, oh, my God, I live in the middle of nowhere, or... Oh my God, I'm way too much of an introvert to try to get into this stuff without knowing someone. I tell people all the time whenever I'm on panels, like, please, please email me. Please reach out to me. I'm happy to like find you someone, connect you with someone. You know, I don't, I don't do like mentorships or anything, but I feel like basically what I'm doing is kind of like a mentorship. It's just not officially called that. Um there's also a group called board game broads on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> So if you they they are actually trying to run a specific mentorship program. So if people really want to you know have something that is more targeted towards specific help that they need, that's a great place to start.
0: Those are all great resources. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Are there any um developers that are games that you're excited for coming out in the future?
1: I made a list of lots of women in board games, but I don't know of anything that's coming out soon. Uh, Suzanne Zinsley, Mm -hmm. who is half of Cardboard Edison, she's got a game called Ceylon, uh, C-E-Y-L-O-N, that I think premiered at Essen, which is a big, uh, huge board game event in Germany. And I don't think that one's available stateside because my husband keeps asking me when we can order it. (laughs) So that's, that's one game that we're definitely... Really, really, really eager to get our hands on, other than Ceylon. I don't have any specific board games that I'm like super hyped to get my hands on.
0: Well, you mentioned the list.
1: <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> so um, Heather O'Neill and Heather Wilson are uh, they're part of ninth level games. Um, they have ninth level games is probably most famous for Kobold's Ate My Baby, which is a role-playing game. Mm-hmm. But uh, the two Heathers made a game called Schrodinger's Cats, which is like one of my favorite party games of all time. And uh, they're, Heather O'Neill's working on Pavlov's Dogs, as you can imagine, which is going to be another game that they're coming out with. They also just came out with a game called Meeple Party, which is a super fun like little party game, co-op party game. Mm-hmm. Bonnie Neubauer is another really amazing game designer. She's local to Philadelphia. I don't know if she has anything published yet, but... I would definitely keep an eye out for her because her. we've played so many of her prototypes that are really excellent. Um, Mary Martha Ford Dieng, she made a game called The Ultimate Clapback, which is also a lot of fun. That one was on Kickstarter. Um, Carol Mertz is another great one. She, she made a game called Pass the Buck, which is a game about corporate responsibility, which I pull it out sometimes at parties and my friends are like, nope, I'm not at work. You can't make me play that. <laughs> I, I won't play a game about, about asking people about their emails. Um, (laughs) there's another great game called Someone Has Died, which is made by Adi Slepek and Liz Roach Um, Banana Chan makes RPGs and LARPs, she is absolutely incredible Um, and then for artists uh, my friend Bridget Indelicato she was co-designer of a game called The Plot Thickens, which won one of the Hasbro, Hasbro did a bunch of game design contests for a few years and um, The Plot Thickens won one of those game contests she does um, graphic design for AEG and Wiz Kids. So she did art for Dungeon Hustle. Um, I can't remember any of the other games that she's done art for. And now I feel terrible. Nah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Heather Winter Vaughan did art for a game called Beneath Nexus, and also for the game Kids on Bikes, which is an RPG that's that's pretty famous. Um, there's also um, Sherry Spiro who. She's the owner of Ad Magic and Breaking Games. Ad Magic is one of the biggest board game printers in the world, and Breaking Games is her publishing arm. So she is a badass lady. She's really amazing. There's also I, I have two friends who work at Kickstarter, Trin Garitano and Anya Combs, who are both just beautiful, wonderful people. Oh, and I also had another name on here. Um, Beth Sobel, who does illustrations for So, 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 so many board games that are out there right now. So many of the indie board games and her artwork is just beautiful. She did Herbaceous and I forget what else. So everything I just said, sounds like bull because I'm like, oh, her work is great. And then I'm like, here's a single game.
0: (laughs) I I believe you. I believe you. I think you check out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's one point I would love for these episodes, the one that focused on playing and now this one in development. Um, one point I would love for listeners to take away who maybe haven't had much experience in this world is there's so much out there. There's so much variety. And I have a group of friends that used to tell me that they hated playing tabletop games. And they hated a specific type. And I've been able to introduce them. They they really didn't like um, competitive games. But sure. I have I've found co-op games that they love. And now we play board games almost every time we hang out. So there is a lot out there. If you don't have, if you haven't had good experiences, but you've only had a little bit, and maybe we've convinced you that you might want to give it another try. There's just so many options.
1: There are also like beautiful games that they're not necessarily cooperative. And they're, they're not competitive, but they're not cooperative. Like uh, Emma Larkins, who I mentioned earlier, runs a playtest community in Seattle. She made a game. I think it's called And Then We Died, hmm. and it's a very artistic game about like communing with ghosts, basically. And you're like, like putting these cards down and putting words together, and you're all building a story together. And that's what the plot thickens is also the plot thickens is you're all using keywords and you're each individually making a story, but it all works together, and and you get bonus points for like paying attention to what other people are saying in their story and then adding their pieces to your own story. So it's like, you know, more narrative-driven games. And there's also games like, you know, Fog of Love and and Then We Held Hands, which are emotional experiences. Yeah. So I feel like there's a lot more out there than just risk and Twilight struggle.
0: Yeah. yeah. And this very same group of friends that didn't like competitive games, one of their favorite games is Dixit, which is competitive, but it's kind of like oh a God, low Dixit. key r- competitive. Yeah. <laughs> it's a relaxed competitive, and it's beautiful.
1: Uh, I got my coworkers addicted to telestrations.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. It's
1: hilarious. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, I like to end episodes like this with a very simple question: How do you think we could make the the tabletop gaming world more inclusive, either on the playing side or development side?
1: I think that um, you know for for the development side, the advice that I give to everyone is: if you have an idea, just make it. And it's really I know it's really hard to get over that fear, and it's really hard to put yourself out there. You know, I. I have a lot of fear of putting myself out there as a game designer and as a writer. And one, the, the thing about the community of developers is that there are a lot of awesome people. And a lot of people pay it forward because they wouldn't be here without the help of others. Like when we got started, you know, I mentioned Jason Tagmire who does wallet games. And he said, oh, talk to my friend Christopher Bedell when you go to PAX. And he didn't tell us you know, talk to my friend who's the president of the company that made Sentinels of the Multiverse. He just said, talk to my friend, Christopher Bedell. And then we met him and we were like, oh my God, you're super important. This is intimidating. And he was so nice to us. He was like, oh, I only have five minutes. Talk to us for 20 minutes. Gave us a bunch of advice. Like, and and now we're, now we're like friends, you know? And, and so many people were so generous with their time that that's how I treat people. Like, that's why I run the Game Makers Guild. That's why I you know, try to do as much as I can. That's why I tell people like, you know, please reach out because I think that that's what people need to put themselves out there creatively. And I think that goes the same for playing games because a lot of people have that fear, like you said, of playing competitive games. And also they have a fear of of looking stupid. And I think that if people were a little gentler Mm -hmm. with how they handle people, it it would be more welcoming. I mean, for us, it's it's been pretty welcoming and we've definitely hit some road bumps, but I think that it was people's kindness that that helped. Oh, God, here I go again. I'm like, if everybody would just be more kind. like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, it's funny that you say that because I am an extremely competitive person. <laughs> and I, for this, so I have like three groups of friends I play games with. And for this group of friends that didn't like competitive games... I had to learn to chill out a bit when I play with him. Yeah. yeah, you have to dial it back, and that's hard. Yeah, and it was hard at first. And I, I still sometimes find myself getting angry because I just... It's really funny, but I, I'm like, you guys are not being the right kind of competitive. But that's my <laughs> own thing. It's supposed to be fun for everyone playing. And it is... I have a good time with them. I just... That was something I had to, like, look at myself and say, well, if I want to enjoy this activity with friends of mine, then I need to modify my behavior a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I would say it's worth looking at your own playing habits. <laughs> at least in my case, um, I, would, I would argue, you know, if you have a group of friends that won't play games with you, why is that?
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? I, think good, I think a good litmus test for competitiveness is Bonanza. Have you played Bonanza? No, I haven't. Uh Bonanza is one of the best. Like we love Bonanza and we hate the art. We love it so much and hate the art so much that Anthony one year for an anniversary gift made me a copy of the game on Gamecrafter with cat illustrations. He replaced all of the beans in this bean farming game with adorable cats. He got like the ratio right, he did everything and just printed so that we would play it more. But Bonanza is really cutthroat. And it's like, it's really about like screwing other people over. And like, you can kind of like make alliances, but like, you don't have to honor them at all. And like, if you play with a group of people who are all super nice to each other and they're like giving each other cards and being really kind to each other, like, Anthony can't stand it. Anthony's mm-hmm. like, y'all are playing this game wrong. <laughs> so it's funny because sometimes I'll play with people who are, who are like really friendly to each other. And those are the kind of people that you, don't want to play a competitive game with or you want to play like a cooperative game with, but then I'll play it with Anthony and his friends and they'll be like, you know, I would stab you for a cocoa bean right now. And I'm like, cool, that's we have a really good friendship. I love this. So it it is like, it's it's reading the room. It's reading the people that you're with. And it's and and like you said before, there's just so there's such a there's so much rich diversity in mechanics now that you don't need to play a game that's going to end friendships.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. I would advise against it. (laughs) And I do think that that's a great point, reading the room, and also just the number one, one of the rules of the internet, it's don't be a jerk. Like, I'm competitive, but I'm nice about it, or at least, like, there are certain people that are competitive and so mean that I won't play with them. Right. And those are, like, the sexist, misogynist that I was afraid existed in this, like, D&D world that I didn't go to. Right. Um, that's one thing that's, that's nobody's having fun except them. And maybe they're like specific group of friends. But, um, I, I do think that there is a vast array of game types and mechanics, like you were saying, so that you can find a game for you and your group, your specific group you're playing with.
1: Yeah. My husband will tell you that I'm salty when I lose. And that's, that's a hundred percent true. There, there are definitely times when I'm like, I'm going to flip this table.
0: <laughs> oh, we have like there was one session of D&D that will not we won't speak about it.
1: <laughs> it's great. I love it. <laughs> oh man. In in our 5E game that was like recorded on YouTube, like our chaos sorcerer like set the bar on fire and almost killed me and I was like, "Yo, Ryan, real life, I will actually kill you in real life if you do that again. Yeah. Like don't do that again." And like Anthony was like you do not want to read the comments on that episode because people got real mad at you. And I was like, he almost killed me. Yeah, but come on. But yeah, I got, I got, I got extra salty. We don't talk about that one.
0: It's funny how, how invested and real it can get. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been so lovely.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is great.
0: Where can people find you?
1: So um, on Twitter, um, I'm CB Fort. Uh, on Instagram, it's the whole thing. It's Cardboard Fortress Games at Instagram. And seriously, I, I I really meant it about people if they wanted to reach out. Um, I'm my email address is CardboardFortressGames at gmail.com. If you want to talk about, you know, how to go to events, how to, you know, even things like help, how do I do a Kickstarter? How do I get in touch with you know, the press, how do I, you know, do this? If, if I don't know the answer to your question, there's a really good chance that I know a person who has the answer to your question.
0: Yeah, that is so valuable. So anyone listening that's interested, I would take Nicole up on that. <laughs> <laughs> and in the meantime, if, if any of you listening are working on games yourself, We would love to hear about it. You can email us at momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And you can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast and on Instagram at stuffmomnevertoldyou. Thanks as always to our producer, Andrew Howard. And thanks to you for listening.